Welcome to the Earning the Push podcast. I'm Jack Murley, and each and every week, myself and co-host, professional rugby player Charlie Beckett, cast our eyes across everything happening in the world of professional wrestling in a show made by fans for fans. Coming up today, one week defined by two huge moments. On SmackDown, a pitch-perfect dismissal of Paul Heyman by Roman Reigns as a tribal chief dispatched Heyman with a brutal Superman punch. And in AEW, a one-hour draw in a five-star match between Hangman Page and Brian Danielson with a finish that's got a lot of people talking. So all of that to dive into, plus the build to Day 1, WWE's first pay-per-view of 2022, more of your top three moments of the year, a discussion of who should be wrestler of the year, plus romantic comedies, rapping presents, Die Hard, and more. All coming up right now on Earning the Push. Something Paul Heyman does very, very, very well is he doesn't get physical very often at all. For a man who spends his life winding wrestlers up, you you'll probably count on one hand the number of times he's got physically involved with anyone. So the fact that he took a Superman punch from Roman really made me sit back and go, okay, this is a this is a big thing we're doing here. Like Heyman's obviously fully invested in this. This has got the full-on serious vibe that we wanted it to. I'm very interested what happens now. Will Heyman go straight back? Will he fall straight back into being Brock Lesnar's advocate? Is there another twist and turn? Is this part of the plan? Are they playing Brock? Do they want Brock to think that he's back and he's going to turn on him at day one? I don't know, and I really like not knowing. I think that's such an important point. I, I can't remember if it was this week or last week, but something that I think WWE have done so well is just tweak the character of Brock Lesnar. And it was when that limousine arrived backstage and Heyman's there, the door opens, and Lesnar gets out. And you hear Brock Lesnar say, Hiya, Paul. Just doing some advocating tonight, are you? I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the delivery from what Lesnar is doing... Everyone has played their part to perfection. Yeah, they have. Everyone's done exactly what they need to do. And the one thing I never worry about with these two is what it'll be like in the ring, because I don't think they've had a bad match. They've got quite a storied history now. They've had a lot of matches on a lot of big stages. And a lot of the time, people haven't wanted this match. You go back to um, WrestleMania 31, no one wanted Hot Lesnar and the Roman Reigns in that, um, in that main event. And yes, the, the thing everyone remembers from that is Seth Rollins coming in. But if you go back and watch that match, that is a brilliant one-on-one match by itself until the cash-in. So these two don't do bad matches. They're always excellent in the ring. And this has got the best storyline around it of any of their matches going into it. So I think I think we could be in for a really special match at day one. Are you surprised they pulled the trigger this early on this stage? Because I was really surprised to wake up, go on YouTube, watch that segment, and to see it end the way it did. Because that is really the biggest moment you can have if you are WWE. It's waiting for either Brock or Roman to to snap, to turn. And they've done it. I was surprised to see it. I loved it. I was surprised. It'd be especially surprising if this is running all the way to Mania. So do you think this means this isn't running to Mania? The fact they've pulled the trigger on this this early, before the Rumble even. Are we getting this at day one and maybe the Rumble max and we've got somewhere else to go at Mania? Because... It's a long time to do this before January even, and then run this till April, the story of where's Heyman in this mix-up. What Do you think that means they're going somewhere else? I had a really interesting conversation with Ryan, who's one of the people who listens to this podcast regularly, and he was saying to me that he would bet money that WWE are building Drew McIntyre 
and it'll be Drew McIntyre who will be in the main event slot with Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And his suggestion was perhaps Jeff Hardy was being groomed for a sort of temporary run at the title. And now with Hardy being released, that's up in the air. And for me, I can't see that. I This angle is is number one with a bullet. There is nothing else that even comes close to it. I think they have to run it to Mania. I don't think they've left themselves any other choices. I'm also not sure that um, the best way to build Drew McIntyre is having playing with different sorts of swords and all that nonsense on SmackDown. Oh. I, don't, I don't think that's how you build him as a credible threat to Roman right now. I don't see it. I wouldn't. Done the right way, that's a match I'd want to see. Drew's brilliant and there's a story there, but they are a million miles off making me want that right now. Because that's your problem. You're giving me this Lesnar Reigns storyline now. If you are going to follow it up with something, it's going to have to be really, really good because this is excellent. If WWE are ending this at day one, they have got things all back to front because this angle has at least been going on since Roman and Heyman aligned pre-SummerSlam last year. You can make the argument it's been going for as long as WrestleMania 31, as you say. To blow that off, a storyline that has been at least a year, if not longer in the making, before WrestleMania, and then give yourself three months to build something of a similar quality for your biggest show of the year, if they're not doing this at Mania, why? I mean, they've got nothing else that comes close. Unless, genuinely, unless they've got The Rock. And they've got Every week we say but, The but, Rock. But genuinely, unless they've got that, I don't know what, what could beat this on name value, star value, anticipation, excitement, and... well. The Rock, Roman wouldn't touch it on quality in the ring. It wouldn't get near it. But unless they've got that storyline, I have no idea why you'd rush through this. And, and that's why I think there has to be another chapter and there has to be another way to go. Here's a question. As we are, as I look over at my calendar, just, just a few days really away from day one, who goes over? It's a really good question. It's a really, really good question. And for the first time... I genuinely don't know. Like even when we had Cena back, I was ninety nine point nine percent sure Cena was going. Uh, Reigns was going over on that match. Yeah, they know you through the spine of the works thing. Cena was going to go over when we chatted about it. I don't. I didn't see that then. I could see this Brock winning the title because he's brilliant. No one's got a complaint about him. He's just so entertaining. He's there week to week, and you want viewers. It would give you that. I think it all depends on what Heyman does, and I don't know what Paul Heyman's going to do. Unless it's a setup, and you wouldn't put it past them doing it as a setup, but I don't know. I lo- I lo- Here's what I would do. Okay, give, give me the pencil, Vince. You can have this one for free. Day one, you have Roman Reigns go over Brock, but you have it in a way that there's some shenanigans, and then I want the bloodline to bloody up Brock Lesnar and to bloody up Paul Heyman. When was the last time we saw Brock bloodied, beaten, on his knees. I want the bloodline to, to feel like they have taken Lesnar out for good. And then I want Lesnar to stalk the Usos and stalk Roman Reigns like it's Moose in the Canadian Outback. I want him to take them out one by one so you get to Mania and you've got a scared, vulnerable and cornered Reigns against a Brock Lesnar driven by vengeance. That's how I would do it. And I think you could stretch that out all the way to Mania. Yeah, I think you could, and I, I very much like that. It seems a very, very good story. Would you have Brock win the Rumble to get there? I think I would. Yeah. I think I think I don't think you have to, 
but because you you you've built up enough of Adam Pierce being petrified of Brock Lesnar that you could see Adam Pierce just slotting Brock into that role. I think I would because again, and this was something I wanted to talk to you about. We are three months, give or take, away from WrestleMania. Where's the undercard? Where's where's the mid card? Where, where is anything but on the men's side of things, Brock and Reigns? Well, we've just had Omos and AJ split, and I think that's going to be done at day one. That'll be it. I read a report, I can't remember who it was, saying they've got big plans for both of them in the new year. So that that's not going to be at Mania. And like I've said before, the only thing I can see coming is Riddle Orton, and that's it on the undercard. I cannot see anything on the men's side of things. Are they building Liv Morgan up for Mania with Becky Lynch, or is that going to be done before then? I don't know. They're building a long way out, if so. Apart from that, I don't know. I, I really, really don't know. Um, it's it's probably the least clear we've had on the quote-unquote road to WrestleMania for a long, long time. And, and you wonder if this is one of the examples of WWE relying on the brand of WrestleMania to, to sell it. You've got two nights, you, you're hopefully... And we don't know with all the variants that are around at the moment. And this is something I think we will have to factor into 2022 that maybe fans aren't going to be there all the time anymore. But two nights, hopefully with fans of wrestling, maybe WWE just thinks, do you know what? Mania sells itself. We, we don't need to, to be booking in the same way we used to. There is another game in town, isn't there, for the first time in a long time, really going into Mania. And I know they don't compete on Mania weekends. You'll never struggle to put bums on seats and sell pay-per-views of WrestleMania, but you do need to give people a reason to watch and I'll be very interested what they do the next few months and we'll definitely be sat here in three months waxing lyrical about the Mania card. We do every year. Every year the Mania card's outstanding. It's just whether it delivers, but at the moment I only see two matches on the men's side of things and that's it. It's a strange old time. We, we put a poll out on this on social media, by the way, as to what the biggest moment of really a two-moment week was. Uh, SmackDown won with 57.1%. Uh, AEW's Iron Man match, as it were, an hour-long draw between Danielson and Page came in second with 42.9%. Before we get on to that world title match, I know we harp on about it all the time, but how good is Paul Heyman hugging hugging Roman Reigns tight, just being caught off mic. Thank you, my tribal chief. Thank you, my tribal chief. I mean, the range on that man should never be taken for granted. No one plays slithering little cretin quite like Paul Heyman. And he's just perfection. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit sometimes for what a great brain he's got and how involved he must be in the whole storyline of this. People forget he was the man who ran ECW. He is storytelling and booking is his thing because he's so great on camera. I think the work he does off camera is evident um, throughout SmackDown and throughout this storyline. But he just does smarmy, slithering, just weasel so well. And he's still, for my money, is the best promo in wrestling. He still cuts the best row. Now, we haven't seen that for a while because he's in another role. But I would be surprised if we see before day one him cut the promo of all promos on Roman Reigns. Him just go to town and unleash on Roman Reigns verbally. And I'd love to see that. Here's what, again, I don't know. I've got my booking hat on this morning. Don't you think that Paul Heyman would forgive Roman Reigns? I mean, if you wanted, if you wanted to stretch this out, can't you see... Paul Heyman saying, I understand why Roman 
did what did what he did. I, I forgive him, almost trying to get his way back into things. But the idea that a Roman Reigns could become even more of a heel by attacking Paul Heyman, of all people, Paul Heyman, it just doesn't compute. It doesn't. And my favourite thing with Heyman is he saw it a lot when he was advocate for Lesnar. When people turn to get physical with him, how he ends up like sat on his bum with like hands out like, no, 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 I'm just an advocate. I'm just an advocate. Um, it's just such a good picture. You've seen it so many times with so many opponents. He'll wind them up and then, no, no, no. And people don't hit him. Like I said, it, it's rare you see them get physical with him. People, everyone knows of Paul Heyman, someone who deserves a good smack and never actually gets it. And that's why he's so reliable. Everyone knows of Paul Heyman. Who's your Paul Heyman? Do you want to say? Nope, couldn't name that out loud. Uh, not because I'm liable, just because I just get in a lot of trouble. Bet I know. Bet I know who No, I bet you do. I bet you do. <laughs> Let's move on to the other big, big, big moment of the week. And really, it was an hour-long big moment. We didn't know last week how they would get themselves out of the booking hole they created for themselves in AEW. And winter is coming with Brian Danielson and Hangman Adam Page. Brian Danielson undefeated. Hangman Adam Page in his first ever title defence. Something had to give, we thought, except it didn't. What we got was a five-star hour-long classic, which ended in a draw. Your thoughts? The match was credible. However, and this is a very unpopular opinion, I think, and I don't know if it's because you had convinced me entirely that what I needed was Danielson cheating to win, and that's what I needed. I don't think I love the ending. I'm still not sure. And I think I only am saying this because the match is so great. When I saw the result, I saw the result before I watched the match. I accidentally saw a spoiler. And I did not like the result at all. Because that's the second huge match in Danielson's AEW run that was a draw. And I was like, I don't like this. I, we, we've fallen this too, too often. We're falling back on this now in AEW. The huge matches just end in draws. Then when I watched the match, I actually forgot it was a draw watching it because it was that good. And then it made me angry all over again when it was a draw. Um... The match is incredible. It is a five-star. And this run that Danielson is having in AEW is just incredible, the match he's putting on. Hagmar and Page was outstanding. I thought it was his best match in AEW. I think he was brilliant. I just, I don't know. I'm still, I've come onto this podcast contradicted still. I still don't know what I think because, yes, it's incredible. And the match is perfect. But I don't want them to keep falling back on draws. And maybe we had convinced me on this podcast last week that the way to go was Danielson cheating to win. But I just, I can't say I loved it. I definitely didn't hate it. I'm just not sure about another draw ending. See, this is really interesting because I saw it without spoilers. I, I actually got up to do some other stuff and I had it on in the background and I was just working away one eye on it and it drew me in. But there was a point about 35 minutes in where I thought, I know where this is going. I know where this is going. And I don't think you can quibble, and you haven't, about the match quality. That was a superb match. You cannot say you didn't get value for money. You cannot say you didn't get one of the best TV matches of the year. However, and I liked the finish. I quite liked the finish. I, and I think AEW has established within the AEW universe that draws are a legitimate way to go. However, there are enough people out there who don't like it, yourself included, that I think AEW has to be really, really, really careful before going down this route again. Because this is two, as you say, two big matches that have ended in a draw. And if they don't get in trouble, if they, if they, don't, if they do it again, I think, the fans are going to turn on it. Because 
once, twice, okay. A third time, I'm not so sure. I think you're so right. Give me another draw, and all you're going to get is an eye roll from me. And be like, oh, here we go again, and, and I, I won't enjoy that. I know because it's a, it's a, it's very interesting because it's not something we get in WWE because we don't do time limits on matches. So it's something we haven't had for a long time in our mainstream wrestling. And when it happened the first time, I was like, oh, that's very clever. That's very clever because we don't get that, and you've left me wanting more. Now, fair play to the two of them for making 60 minutes not feel like 60 minutes. That's not an easy thing to do wrestling because 60 minutes is a long time. So to, not, to have me not bored for 60 minutes and at the end go, oh, I could have done more, is incredible from the two of them. I just think you're so right. They have to be careful. They can't do this again anytime soon because I do think people will start going, oh, okay, AW just do draws, then do we? And it will start taking away. You can have a brilliant match with another draw finish I think all that will be remembered is the finish, whereas this time people are still talking about the match. And I think it doesn't help for me personally. I don't know if other people think this, that it's been two of it's been two, Danielson's two best matches. It's the same guy twice having draws. And I wanna I wanna see him winning. Like as much as he's a heel, I love Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson. I just want to see him win things. I'd like to see him as world champion. Like it's a tough one by Adam Page, but I wanna see that. So yeah, it was an outstanding match. It's five star. It'll go in the conversation of match of the year comfortably. I just, the ending didn't ruin it for me, but it did just go, mm, okay, another one this soon. That's probably the best way I can sum it up. Because Tony Khan is a very clever booker, regardless of whether AEW is your cup of tea or not, he's a very clever booker. There is storyline here of Omega and Page both outlasting Danielson. You can make the argument that Danielson can't win the big one, but for me, there's some production issues with the way that AEW does time limits and draws. If you're going to have time limits in matches, and this is going to be a finish where the clock runs out, you need to be showing a clock for matches. I know that sounds daft, but if you're going to have people buying into it and invested in the fact what AEW has done twice now with these draws is they sort of have Justin Roberts almost off mic say five minutes remaining. And, and you don't notice it's coming. They need to. If this is a big part that you're going to rely on, you need to have time limits in your corner. You need to have a match end in 30 seconds before the time limit runs out to build that jeopardy. Am I wrong? No, you're right. And they have to have it for every single match because otherwise mm. you see the time limit draw every once in a while. Like, oh, this is what's happening. So every match that has a time limit needs to just have a little clock in the corner. I, I don't think it's a hard thing to do. But no. the only thing you'd say is, do they book themselves to like, was it actually an hour? Did anyone get their stopwatch out or did they know where the finish was going to be? And if it took them 60 minutes and three seconds, it wasn't going to be an issue. Do you know what I mean? Like, do they put themselves in a tougher situation? Now, I'm not for a second suggesting that Adam Page and Brian Danielson couldn't wrestle for 60 minutes. They are two of the best in the world. I'm sure they could get their timing right for that ending. But it just puts more pressure on them, doesn't it, that they perhaps don't need. You can gimmick that, surely. We get, I mean, the rumble is never one minute 30 between entrance. It's sometimes 40 seconds, sometimes it's The rumble's my, fa- my rumble's my favourite. I saw one guy on YouTube, he's like, just look at this. And honestly, there's about 40 seconds between one of them. And it's just because they're obviously just working spot to spot, not timing. So I'm sure they could gimmick it if they needed. But I think you're right. I think to just then randomly go, oh, time's up, kind of just takes you out of it a little bit. You want... You want the Jeff because also they could start playing on the fact you could start getting matches coming in the last two minutes. It could almost tease the audience to thinking, oh, it's going to go like this again. And then you actually get the crowd getting really excited for that, that finish, and then you get the finish, and there's more there's more emotion because you've managed to beat the clock. Um, so I think you're right. I think you do need some sort of timing on screen so the audience know what's happening. Finish aside, 
how can you not say that Brian Danielson isn't the MVP of professional wrestling in 2021? He started the year as the biggest babyface on the men's side of the roster in the biggest company in the world, main eventing their biggest show. He jumped ship. He's had five-star classic after five-star classic. He's ending it as the biggest heel in the hottest up-and-coming promotion. I mean, and he was retired for years. Yeah, you are, you are going to get an argument from me on this one. You are not going to get an argument from me on this one. He's, he's just living his best life, I believe the kids say. He is just... The kids? How old are kids. you again? 26. You're a kid. Honestly, the generation below me are a very different breed. Um, he's, he is living his best life. Isn't he? He just, and you can see how much fun he's having. You watch him wrestle, you can see just he's loving every second. And if this contract, however many years it is, is his last full-time run, he's ticking the boxes of things he needs to do. And it's just, we're just very lucky to watch him. I think like we talk about, Sometimes we forget that we're lucky to watch CM Punk back. I think we get it with Danielson. Sometimes, like you say, he was retired a number of years years ago. We forget that we never thought we were going to see this man wrestle again. We thought we thought it had been stolen from us five years ago. So, let alone him wrestling this well, we never thought we'd see it at all. And then on top of that, he's just one of the best, if not the best, performer in the world right now. It is extraordinary. And speaking of people back who we didn't think would be back in WWE, they're teeing up for Edge against Miz. At day one, are we? Are we? You look more excited about this than I am. I'm. I'm. I can take a pass on this. I can take or leave seeing Edge against the Miz. Don't hate it. Edge has had a brilliant year. I think he's had his best year in a long time since he's been back. Obviously, he's managed to touch wood, avoid injury this year, which is a big one, and be back and doing well. Um, I think it's 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 very okay, isn't it? It's it's a decent match to watch. There'll be some good promos in it. And then we'll build out just something better at Mania, hopefully. And just one final note before we get on to some uh, moments of the year from, from folks listening. Vince McMahon, back on TV with Austin Theory, a lot, a lot. And I don't know why Vince has taken such a shine to young Austin Theory, but I did not think that would be the role that got Vince McMahon back on TV regularly. Nope, it's very strange, isn't it? It's very, very, very strange. Um. Two things from Raw this week. One yep. didn't sit comfortably with me. One was very good. Vince making a joke about how much he enjoys firing people, I thought was in real ill taste. Real bad taste after the year they've had. Um, that actually really didn't sit well with me. Quite switched me off to it. It was, it was just that, oh, no, not the not the comment or joke made. These are people's livelihoods. I really didn't enjoy that. Um, Bianca Belair is a big, Ooh. strong girl. She's a Ooh. big, strong girl. Getting dewdrop up above her head like that. Oh, she's a big, strong girl. You know a good present you could give to the wrestling fan in your life this Christmas? Something that's free and they're sure to love? You could tell them about us and what we do on this show and get them to give us a listen. Go on, do it. It makes a world of difference. And if you haven't done it already, make sure to rate, review and subscribe wherever you're listening today. And now, back to the show. Right, let's get on to uh, moments of the year. We did a whole load of these last uh, week, so we've just got a few of these to wrap up, including mine uh, and, and some that have come in. Uh, but but uh, should we just dive straight into this? Should we just go straight into it? Because I think this is going to get you talking. Uh, this is from Ryan, 
who says, I'm doing my top three. I'm taking out Punk's return and the end of All Out, which I think makes sense. Number one, Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega for the lockup alone and the significance. It's a dream match that's been talked about for years through and through on free TV as AW outdraws WWE in New York on its home turf with one of the best crowds of the year. How is that not number one? When you put it like that... It, it's hard to argue. And also, just again, I know we think it was made for tennis, but I do think Arthur Ashe Stadium was actually designed to be a wrestling arena because it was just perfect, wasn't it? Like, everyone was on top of it. It's such a cool stadium, and it is unique. Nothing else is built like it. I know people say, oh, it's made for tennis. No, that's a wrestling stadium, but they happen to play tennis in. And actually, if I had a critique of that show, and again, this is my production sort of background coming in, I wish they'd made more of it. I wish we'd seen more of the unique angles of the difference of the way it was shot. If they'd have made that because, and I understand why they didn't, they wanted to get as many fans in as they possibly could, but it felt like there was more to see there. Um, so that's Ryan's number one, number two, punk's promo battle with MJF from you're just a less famous Miz to MJF chanting hustle, loyalty and respect in punk's face with the hand gestures. How is this not the best non-wrestling segment of the year? Again, it's, it's hard to, if you do what Ryan says and we've asked people to do, which is take out Punk, take out the end of All Out, that was a moment that got everyone talking because we'd anticipated it and the hype matched the moment. Yeah, and you couldn't avoid it online. Everyone was talking about it. It was everywhere. I must have watched replays of little segments of it about 10 times that week. It was, it was the hottest thing in wrestling that week. Yeah, and number three, Christian's complete surprise return at the Royal Rumble. The look on his and Edge's face as they met in the ring and the hug in the ring as well. If you don't agree with this, you don't have a heart. I mean, it was a nice moment, but until it got talked about then, I'd forgotten it had happened. So I must have no heart. I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten that had happened. But is that, though, because it happened in the Thunderdome? One, it happened in January. You played a lot of rugby since then. A lot's happened this year. Um... And yeah, I think some of moments get forgotten because those great moments of those emotional returns, what's the first thing you talk about? It's the pop. The first thing you think about when Ed to him back is the pop. The Hardys returning at 33 is the pop. And you don't get that through Zoom. You don't, you don't get that when it's piped in audio. So that probably did take a lot away from that moment. I thought he was about to say Christian surprise turning up on AEW after he was billed as his legend. I was going to say, oh, Ryan, no, no, that no. was not a moment. We got some special shout outs as well to uh, Xavier Woods challenging the Reckoning to an intergender match on Raw Talk. Give me Reckoning uh, and special. And this just if you would have a 10 second moment of the year, Roman Reigns comparing John Cena to the missionary position. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That promo. That promo. John, it's missionary every single night. And they cut it out of their highlights. Come on, WWE. God, we're not. That's. We're PG, not you for Universal. That's, oh, it was so good. That was the moment where where anyone who'd not watched WWE for a while would just watch and go, oh, this, this Roman, he is he is such a cool dude. Because that was amazing. So look, those are Ryan's moments. I think you've agreed for maybe one of them out of three. So you're not that impressed with his picks, Charlie. I just I can't believe the Christian moment has made someone's top three months. That If that's your top one, your top three of the year, then it's been a slow year in wrestling. And that's one thing this year absolutely has not been. I, I'm, I'm speaking up for Ryan here because he did take out the other moments and he happens to be a huge Edge fan as well. So I think, I, I think there's some room for manoeuvre there. Okay, do you want my ones? Yes, please, Jack. 
Number one, Hook debuts on Rampage. Oh. Number two, Hook's return match for Rampage announced. Yes, yes. Number three, Hook on Being the Elite. Yes, there you go. Okay, good, good. And it's purely all on his wrestling ability there, isn't it? Really, number one for me. And again, I'm taking out Punk's uh, arrival. I mean, Punk's arrival is one of the biggest moments of the decade, of of the past. So take that out, take it all out. Number one for me, Double or Nothing and the return of fans at Daly's Place. Now, it wasn't the biggest crowd of the year. It wasn't the best show of the year. But after we were starved of fans for so long and yes we had them at mania but mania still didn't feel like mania because of quite understandably where people were having a full arena singing along to wild thing cheering the pops being there it made me so happy that has to be number one for me yeah i think you're completely right in that it's just such a huge moment and it had so much more significance than just wrestling and we just hope that we're not going back to it, but you see what's going on, that we might have to have a short stint back with no fans. And it's just wrestling with no fans is nothing. I know all sport isn't, and I've played in front of no fans and it's rubbish, but fans are such a huge part of wrestling, probably more so than anything else when it comes to sport, that it is not the same without them and having them back was huge. So that's my number one moment. Number two, I am more of an AEW watcher than WWE, but even I just felt such joy in my heart when John Cena came back at Money in the Bank. I mean, that pop was huge. And again, I think it was because we were on the back of fans being back. Everything felt fresh and new. But that moment, Pat McAfee shouting, where, when Cena arrived back, that was that's what gives you goosebumps as a wrestling fan. It was just quite nice to see, for the first time, Cena probably getting the reactions he deserves. Mm. He's been so polarising for so long that... He's never had the appreciation that he clearly deserves for what he's done for not just that company, but the industry over the last 20 years. He's been, he's, he's carried it on his back at times. Through the late noughties and the early tens, he was WWE, he was wrestling and that was it. There was not much for him to go on. So actually for him to come back and get those cheers and get the reaction he deserved, you could see how much it meant to him. And then they delivered with an unbelievable program and a very, very good match. And... I think we will see him again. But if that's how he goes out, because his acting career is taking off, if yeah. that's how he goes out, what a way to go. Yeah, unbelievable. And and I think that's right. We we take for granted that John Cena will come back and have four-star, four-and-a-half-star matches. That ain't easy. He is a hell of a wrestler. And number three for me, it's a moment for the wrong reasons. It is whenever Vince McMahon, in his office in Stamford, decided that NXT needed to be rebranded. That is my moment of the, and arguably more significant than either of those, because you took WWE's crown jewel for hardcore wrestling fans and you've turned it into something we literally don't talk about anymore. How is that not the most significant decision WWE has made this year to kill the brand some of us love the most? I'm biased because of how much I love NXT with my baby, but I don't watch it. It's a Wednesday morning. I have not been online to see what happened on NXT last night. I, I haven't bothered. All I know is that AJ Styles was there and that confused me. So I was like, I'm not even going to go and look why he was there. I don't, I just, I have no reason to care anymore. And that's really, really sad. It, it is. Um, look, we've got the show next week. Do you have any mm. ideas what we should do for next week? Oh, should we fantasy book Roman versus Brock at day one? <laughs> we can do that. 
Or, or I had another oh, idea. Hang on, hang on. This is it. We could, but I've got a better idea. So let's hear Jack's. <laughs> well, or we could give our predictions for 2022 and see what we think will happen in 2022. Or, frankly, we can do both, Charlie. Yeah, I, I, I like yours better because also you've got to... I'm not good on the spot. You keep, you've done this a few weeks now. Give me a text a few days before I say, Charlie, I'm going to ask you what you think we should do next week. And I go, ah, OK, I'll plan something. I'm How is it a surprise to you that I'm going to ask you this? I ask I you every a, week. I have a lot going on in my week. It gets to about, it gets to about half nine in the podcast. I go, oh, Jack's asked what I want next week. I don't really know what to say. Right, we'll do 2022 predictions. That makes more sense than the last one of 2021. Okay, we will. I'm glad, I'm glad you came around to my way of thinking. Uh, let's send something from everyday life back to developmental. Let's give something the push first or second this week. I'll go second this week. Okay, I would like to give a push to everyone working over the Christmas and the holidays. That's what I would like to give a push to. Uh, the nurses, the doctors, the whoever, the people keeping us safe. Hey, whoever hey, you are. Hey, working, hey. Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, no dispute over that. If you're working over Christmas, uh, well done to you. Thank you for doing it so many of us don't have to. Back to developmental. Wrapping Christmas presents. Yes! Yes, this is mine! This is mine! <laughs> yes! Oh my God, I've got to do today as well. That's the rest of my day. But I'll let you cut a promo on it, then I will. I'm very fortunate that I have a boyfriend who loves wrapping Christmas presents. I don't know where this has come from, but it turns out he finds it very therapeutic. So I can palm a lot of them off on him. In fact, he comes sniffing for Christmas presents. He literally comes in, got anything I can wrap. I think he's an addict, but we put that to one side. When I have to wrap his, it's terrible. You can't cut through the paper, right? You can't get the folds right. You've got to get the little sellotape bits and get them all sorted. God help you if you've got to wrap a mug, a ball, anything that isn't a square. And then some people, they do like the little ribbons on top and do all of that. No, I, I hate wrapping Christmas presents. I don't understand people who enjoy it. I completely agree. It's, it is my least favourite day of the year. And I will do it today and I'll be miserable all day because of it. It's just... Like you say, we're going to put, oh, I'm going to put this ribbon on. Look how nice it is. Why? Why? It's going to get ripped up anyway. No one goes, oh, the best bit about that present was how you wrapped it. No, they just want to rip it off. Stop it. I got in trouble last year because my, my girlfriend wanted to do a nice, cute wrapping evening. So she made nice drinks and put the music on. I told her, don't do it. I will ruin it. It will not be enjoyable. She said, no, no, we'll do it together. And lo and behold, what happens? I ruined it by getting angry with the sellotape, with the scissors not wrapping well enough, not holding night. So it's, it's a rather taboo subject is wrapping presents in our house because I ruined the fun wrapping evening last week, last year. But I said I was going to. It wasn't a surprise. Anyone who knows me knows I was going to. I've got, I think she was brave to pitch it. I've I mean, got she big must clumsy know hands that don't do delicate well. I just like smash into each other and I get angry. I'm short tongues. I don't like not being good at things. I just hate wrapping presents. It's hideous. And my whole family mocks me for it because they all know I hate it. And it's just the worst, it's the worst part of Christmas. Can I throw something else in then? Since we are being a bit grinchy, yeah. I almost sent back to uh, developmental Christmas movies. Christmas movies. Starting well, with Elf. Oh, people are gonna stop listening. Oh, boo away. Boo away. I don't care. Why I do you hate Elf. all Christmas films? Right. Because here's every Christmas film. Basically, here is a man who works too hard, who's got a big project, who isn't making time for his family at Christmas. Something happens. The family leave. He gets hit by something and has a revelation. Then he goes 
actually, I quite like Christmas and everything's all right in the end. That's always the start. That's always the finish. We have to waste 90 minutes thinking how we're going to get from the start to the finish. They never have a Christmas film where he goes, actually, work is more important. And then they get <laughs> to the end and he goes, I'm really regretting doing that. I've spent all my money on Christmas. I've not passed the deadline. My boss has fired me. What a waste of time. It's the same basic film over and over again. There's always a twee little American kid in it. Don't get me started on Love Actually. Oh, my days. What a shocker that is. Don't, because I like Love Actually. I like Love Actually. Um, oh, all right, Because we have the same back to mental. I'm going to throw something else back to mental. You've, you've just triggered me on this. Any idiot, and I will call them an idiot, who will try and tell me that Die Hard is a Christmas film. It's not. What Die Hard is, is it is the greatest action film of all time that just happens to be set at Christmas. Because for me, a Christmas film is a film you will only watch at Christmas. You will only watch the month of December. If you whack Die Hard on for me in July, I'm not going to go, oh, actually, it's set at Christmas. I can't watch it now. No, I'm going to go, come on, John McClane, let's kill these mothers. And that's what I'm going to do, because that's what he does. It's not a Christmas film. So any idiot who tries and tells me it is, that you can go back to developmental. I will have this argument every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Die Hard is not a Christmas film. How can you love Love Actually? It's dying. I really like Love Actually. It's brilliant. But also, I'll tell you another thing about Development Christmas. Our generation can't write a good Christmas song. And you probably want to know more about this because your job. But when was the last time a good Christmas song came out? A properly uh, good Christmas song. The Darkness? Yeah, that probably. Riff, maybe? probably. And when was that? Uh, 2003, 2002? 2003. Yeah, that's all the time. You know what I mean? 20 years, we can't write a good Christmas song. Musicians, hang your heads. Hang them. I just want to go back to love, actually. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have a third crack third time taking us back to this. Because it is just... It's just a shocker. Is, that a, is it not, though? Put your wrestling hat on. Yeah. Is it not incredible booking of all intertwining storylines that come together at the end and then Alan Rickman buying that little tart, that necklace is the ultimate heel turn. God love me I've tried to sit through it and every time half an hour in I just can't, I cannot do it it just makes my skin crawl um, it's doing fine without me by the way so it's not like it needs my endorsement but there is one moment where Emma Thompson goes upstairs and she stands and she's crying and Alan Rickman gives her the CD and goes, for your emotional education. That, that, that is good. I like yeah. that. The rest of it, that kid running through the airport, no, he's a security risk. Person pitching up at the front door with those cards, don't understand that at all. Oh, but right, Kira Knightley, bad woman. Yeah. I've thought, no, he's worse. No. If you fall in love with your best mate's wife, you swallow those feelings and you never tell them. You cannot. No. Because what good is going to come from that? No. That is a horrible situation and I feel awful for you. But no, you swallow those feelings and you live with it. And that is what you have to do. Wouldn't you love it if WWE on SmackDown this week had Brock open the door of his cabin and Heyman's there <laughs> <laughs> with or, or Heyman opens the door, Reigns is upstairs, and Reigns goes, Who's there? It's just Carol, and it's, it's Brock Carol in, Singers. It's Carol Singers, Roman, and it's Brock in his dungarees holding a card saying, yeah. Here comes yeah. the pain. That's yeah, that's what Excellent. they should do. Excellent. No, no, no. Brock actually is the film. Brock actually, right. Make it happen. Make it happen, Vince. Um, 
what, well, what were just, we doing? You've got to send some. You've got to give something to push. I have, but you've ruined Christmas. And knowing your boyfriend and how much he loves Christmas, I imagine this has some interesting conversations in your house. Um, well, Spider-Man: No Way Home is getting the push because it's just the perfect film. It's perfection. It's brilliant. Um, I want to go and see it a million times in the cinema. Uh, I won't say any more about it because if I spoil it, it's a hideous thing to have spoiled because there are some seriously good surprises in it. I've kind of run out of energy on films because I've had to try and defend Love Actually with you. So, um, yes, yeah, Spider-Man's perfect. It's the perfect film. Go and watch it. Um, but Jack's just the worst Grinch I've ever met. I just, all I can think now is Brock, actually. That's all I want to see happen. We have to wrap this thing up. This is going to go. We'll be yeah. here till, we'll be here for hours just describing each, each um, scene by scene of the film. All right, and on that note, look, we won't ask you what's going to happen on SmackDown this week because we hope actually people who enjoy Christmas take some time away from wrestling, Mm. spend it with your families, just relax, enjoy yourself. If you're not a Christmas person, do not worry. It is just one day of the year. The world keeps spinning. Life will be back to normal afterwards. Uh, We will be doing your predictions for 2022 on next week's show. But until then, from myself and Charlie, thank you for listening. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next week.